0: Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with returning friend of the podcast, Craig Quatermain. We talked about opportunity, uh, working in Queensland, being uh, an Indigenous Australian in this particular time, and being the second person that you call. Uh, I really enjoy talking to Craig. I always enjoy talking to Craig. I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. Uh, Thank you so much to everyone who supports me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. You know, we're in lockdown again in Sydney. This pandemic has been hard on so many people. I appreciate the support, both in an emotional way and literally it is what has kept me going through this time. So everyone who supports me there, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. Uh, it's an incredible thing. Um, if you want to support me there, there are the, the weekly Tea with Alice salons, which are available occasionally to all levels, but are available at various levels. And uh, if you don't want to support me financially or you can't support me financially, share stuff of mine that you like. Again, that makes a massive difference. Or follow me on social media and people pay attention to those statistics. They shouldn't, but they do. So, at Alliterative on Twitter and Instagram, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. Even if you don't use those platforms, just following me does make a difference. Sorry to be that kind of pluggy person. I have no live shows coming up at the moment, but of course, as ever, you can hear me weekly on The Gargle, occasionally on The Bugle, and monthly on The Last Post. I'll, I'll talk to you again next week. You're having tea with Alice.
1: Hello, who are you and what are you drinking? <laughs> Hello, uh, my name's I'm Craig Quartermain. I've just uh, finished a peppermint tea from uh, the tea company in Brisbane, of which pretty impressed. Actually, they give you these lovely uh, white tins with a, with a gold lid on it. And uh, I went in there on behalf of my wife and ended up buying half the shop for myself. So getting right into their peppermint tea and their ginger tea, which has helped quite a bit. Uh, with my stupid allergies that I get out here, and dummy goes and lives on a property.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's such an interesting thing, I think, because tea is so much about the presentation, because it is just a fistful of leaves. <laughs> so it's about the experience and the presentation and the whole like the process of it as much as anything else.
1: Mm, oh, the, the 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 tea bags, and the, the you know those newfangled, up to the, up to, you know technologically advanced. Um, little sacks of material. I have no idea what are, but I make sure they are completely biodegradable. And uh, yeah, it's it's a whole lot of wank. But I I I don't have the patience to brew. I'm, I'm a tea bag guy.
0: I it depends on the kind of tea. I, I often say I'm a tea fan, not a tea snob. So I will just do like a whatever's in the three-star motel dumped, <laughs> dumped in some hot water if I have to. But, you know, I do quite like the process of doing a proper tea that has, like, a temperature that it has to be at and, you know, a kind of cup that it's best in. Like, I quite enjoy that uh, when I have the time and the and the energy. Um, I, although, I again.
1: A... Sorry, I, I was good. just I had a guest, an English guest, uh, come in just recently. He's this young guy who's been diagnosed with stomach cancer and, uh, On his bucket list, he wants to do a stand-up spot. English guy named Chris, uh, he's going to do a spot this week because I made him. Uh, But he came over for a cup of tea, very very English, very cliche. I offered him a cup of tea, and I must have made the worst Mm -hmm. English breakfast with oat milk because we didn't have cow milk, cup of tea for him, (laughs) and he took it like a champion. I'm terrible at making tea for other people.
0: Well, somebody, I can't remember who it was, once said that the British Empire was built on three things, indifference to food, indifference to weather, and indifference to company. That they
2: just <laughs>
0: Their great English quality in, like, conquering other places is just going somewhere and just eating horrible stuff and being okay with it.
1: Sounds about right. Yeah, Chris was lovely about it.
0: <laughs> well, it was, like, the Romans used to ship around their, like, horrible fish pickle sauce that they loved so much. It was their version of American tomato sauce where they just kind of insist on having these barrels of fermented fish pickle wherever they went, <laughs> put it on all the food.
1: Oh, I've not heard of it. It's probably something, you know, how tomatoes are a weed in Italy and now they're one of the best things to have in anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, isn't it amazing that the idea of, like, one of the things I think when people talk about the good old days or like history, how great it was, or whatever, first of all, most people were, most people in history were like peasants.
1: You know, most <laughs> people in history
0: didn't have access to any of the nice things at all. And, you know, one bad winter meant that they starved to death or whatever, or you die in childbirth or you just always be itchy or, you know, like most of history I think was itchy. Um, <laughs> But one of the things that I think about is like food stuff, you know. That so much of what we eat nowadays is a product of of globalization, you know. Mm. So much of what we think we should, we is just normal things to eat.
1: It's isn't it funny that that interesting idea there of uh, most of pe- most people come from poor backgrounds, uh, but I still think there are varying degrees. Like, how far are you looking to go back? Because God, I hate it when. Whenever I come across somebody who likes to brag about how poor their families are, or not brag, but kind of use it as a bit of street cred. It's like, oh, yeah, no, my grandparents came from nothing. Really? Really? They left the farm in their native country to immigrate, which isn't cheap, to establish another farm in another country. Yeah, you're right. They come straight from the streets. Don't get me wrong. It was hard work, but you can't do that with absolutely nothing. Sort of like... the. Yeah, I always get paranoid with people who want to talk about how little they have. It's like, it's not, that's not cool. I promise you there's nothing cool about having to share the bedroom with the dogs.
0: It's one of the um, sort of unforeseen consequences of of, like, privilege discourse, discourse about privilege, which is this kind of sense that because life has always been unfair, Right. There's always been people who've had more power and people who've had less power. There's always been people who have had unwarranted advantages. And even if it's, if, even if somebody, let's take something fairly unloaded and just be like mm-hmm. good looks, say people who are good looking have an easier life than people who are not good looking. Right. Mm-hmm. Just take yes, that you as, do. as a kind of a, a, a <laughs> take that as a kind of a base level unfairness. Mm-hmm. But then this idea that, well, it is unfair. And then you got like a guilt about it, and so then you have to pretend that it's not.
1: <laughs> true. Yep.
0: Or you know, like whatever oh, you know, it's one of those things of of of. It's an odd feeling the way you see people playing down their privilege.
1: Which is what I, I love about comics like Jimmy Carr and Ricky Gervais. <laughs> yeah, people that just own it. But yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there's a there's a Sydney comic, um, Cam Duggan. Who physically isn't pretty in any way, shape, or form, but he's got this amazing—he's <laughs> got this amazing bit about privilege, where he just talks about, um, yeah, my dad loved me, saw him all the time, like just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just listing all these great things that him and his dad used to do, and it's just a nice flip, flip on it because uh, there are so many people that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, try to they look for something that they have to have as a, as a crutch on stage. And it, 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 it's gross. It's gross to watch. I mean, this, this, sorry?
0: Well, there's a couple, yeah, there's a couple of different, like, channels that come out of it when I think about this stuff. The first one is if you have privilege, you sort of, I feel like, you sort of have a responsibility to enjoy it like you don't drink water out of a puddle just because other people (laughs) don't have access to clean water. You know, like there's these kinds of privileges where you're just like, this is a wonderful thing. I should enjoy it. I should revel in it. I should take pleasure in it. And I should try to extend it to other people. And sort of pretending that it doesn't exist is a disservice to everyone involved. Absolutely. And uh, then there's equally things where you, like, get stuff that you don't deserve maybe. There's, like, all these different different things.
1: I'll let you know when that happens. Um,
0: <laughs> but You know what I mean? There must be. There, yeah. there, there, there certainly are things that, well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not explaining this very well. It's something No, no
1: I, I think I get, yeah, because, you know, just throughout COVID, just as an example, I have... Picked up a TV show and a radio show and all these other things for pure good fortune, just being in the right place, right time, uh, being in a state that wasn't shut down. Yeah, absolutely, felt guilty about it. And then I've got other friends that, again, yeah, like into their fifth lockdown, really talented, amazing people who are just having some of the most productive years ripped off them. And I'm chilling in the sun and really enjoying. It. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. But then there's also a case of get out and
0: enjoy it so there's also you you have to enjoy it and then also there's other times that you haven't gotten things that you did deserve Mm -hmm. and 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 that kind of trying to walk walk the line between acknowledging that life is unfair being grateful for when it's unfair in your favor Mm -hmm. (laughs) not not getting crushed when it's unfair not in your favor Mm -hmm. trying to balance it out where you can try to help other people who haven't got the breaks that you've had, like all these different kind of things coming in to play. I think one of the elements, one of the many, many different elements that plays in is people who will play down their privilege because they're used to this idea that there are, so for example, let's go to the kind of the private school boy success. You know, Mm. there are people who succeed just because they went to the right school. So purely... Luck and I had my brother, uh, my brother's friends. I would talk to them sometimes, and you could talk to someone for a good fifteen minutes before you realised they were a fucking idiot, because <laughs> they had the right vocabulary and they had the right talking points to come across as intelligent because they'd been surrounded by these beautiful structures of learning and education, and so they had the right rhythm. And it wasn't until you take them off the beaten path that you realise they had no flexibility and no yeah. capacity to absorb a new idea, and so they weren't actually smart. They just knew the the words to say. Um, And so I think for people who kind of, you know that that's a thing, that there are people who just get stuff because they're in the right place at the right time, they're born out of the right pair of legs. Um, And so I think people fear that if they don't succeed, despite their privilege, then they must be real pieces of shit. So they have to play down the privilege.
1: Well, Well, hopefully they feel that way. I love it. It's an absolute skill. An art to picking up those people as well. Like the, the sooner you can pick them out, uh, I feel like that's a that's an art that I've got down pat. It's probably probably helped me back a little bit too <laughs> by pointing it out so soon. But it's uh, yeah 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 no I, I, absolutely. There's uh, I do like there are uh, you can either let those people hang themselves. With their, with their social rope or uh, you know, I just had a moment just recently. And they're lovely people, my neighbors, um, lovely people. But uh, the my neighbor's son challenged me to a game of basketball and he's about six foot four already. And he's 14 years old and um you know, I'm nearly 40. Played a little bit, I'm short, I'm not I'm not tall. And then uh, we played a game of basketball and he was uh, he was chirping a little bit. Uh, and yeah. I just, and I just kind of just, this gangster Craig just just snapped back in. I was like, I used to play in a court in a park where if you lost, the other team would take your ball. You know what I mean? There's none <laughs> of this. There's none of this. Hey, let's warm up on the nice wooden court and all that. So everyone's got a water bottle. None of that shit. Um, and so we just sunk a few shots, and he started. And then I just clicked into a mode and like, no, no, I'm going to show you. And I, I don't know. I just basically picked on a 14 year old kid and just I I enjoyed it because part of me is like you're never going to get this at your school. You never get... so I just I, I don't know there's and not always doing it. I'm not I'm not up for bullying but I do love um everyone needs to get corrected every now and then. I loved it in, in comedy when I was a you know, cocky little open micer or new never a little open mica co- just a cocky new open micer and just getting schooled by some absolute pros um, and bombing in front of them and then having them not talk to you when you come off stage, all that sort of shit. It's good for your growth, man. I'm worried too many people are cold. Well, So this good. is
0: the other side of things, things that, like, things that are objectively shit things hmm. are not without their benefits. Absolutely. Which isn't, like, and it's very, that's a very hard thing to say because then you come across as some, like, weird um, religious fetishist <laughs> of suffering but what I mean is that there are these like everything you know in my kind of everything is more complicated than it seems to be you know uh, uh, like the fact that my mum was sick meant that I spent more time with my mum than most people my age mm. and that is an incredible thing that I never took her for granted and I never had that kind of teenage like fuck you mum thing like, I always was grateful for her mm. and what like that's a that's an incredibly good thing. That is an unalleviatedly good thing that came out of a terrible fucking thing. You know? Yeah. And and so there are other, there are things like that. I remember having a, a chat with a, a guy called Brett, he's a Sydney comedian. And it's, again, it's sort of super complicated. He was saying that he, as a, a he's a gay man in his 50s now, he said, When when I used to, you know, when I used to be on the scene, you'd come out, your dad would break your arm. And then you'd run away to the big city and uh, <laughs> you would form a community. And I was hmm. like, that sounds really hard. And he's like, yeah, but nowadays you can, like, come out at 14 and have your boyfriend over at home in your in your suburban home. And he was really sad about the loss of this kind of community of, of like, unification and and looking after each other, these hard-won, hard-fought um. counterculture community that was at that time the gay community in Sydney. And so for him, this unalleviatedly good thing, which is that your parents didn't kick you out, you know, obviously people still have that experience, but, you know, there's so much more tolerance in, in society as a whole that he felt like loss of shared experience of horror that had formed like no, a beautiful culture, like really no, amazing. Oh,
1: and it and it can be lonely too though, because you know, the older we get, there are less people that have had our have our journey that we share and we can hang out and talk about it. Whereas, you know, with your one with your mom, I can't imagine you're gonna to find too many other people with that sort of common ground. And so it might be a little lonely. Like sometimes you'd want to be able to just sit across from someone and just have the exact same chat. One of my favorite things in comedy in media is coming across somebody who's had just some of the same experiences just to sit down and fucking talk like you and yeah I get it I get it if you can't find someone that's been on that path because as we get older there's even fewer and fewer of them you know and I'm chilling in yeah with comedy um there's not many people that have been on my path and if I do come across them I'd kind of lock onto them and I'm like you're coming with me don't please don't leave me with the rest of them. Um and yeah, in, in media in, in particular, there's, there's three particular um, really significant humans that have been on this path. And we've all been, I did my first radio show 10 years ago, uh, Alison. It was weird to think there was a long-ass journey and I'm still, I'm kind of in a pretty good spot now. But there are only a few other people that have been through that. Like I had to do a video, a testimony for my employer, the ABC, about all the great advancements they've made. You know and i they they asked me and like 10 other employees and they literally used four words from me when they compiled this video you yeah. and it's because i gave honest feedback and it, it was just one of those situations where it can be lonely because when you yeah go through everything that we were just talking about that tough road to get to where you are while you're grateful you don't you have improved things and you have helped other people. There is a part of you that kind of wishes, you know, other people experienced it. So I, I don't know if it's just the case of being able to share that with someone else, but maybe you just hate softies as well.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it, 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 there is something odd that happens. I, I remember this happening very distinctly at the Comedy Store in London. Uh, I went along to support a friend of mine um, who was performing that night and we're just, mates and we showed up and I went into the green room and you know introduced myself around it was when I just moved to London and was sort of making contacts and then I coincidentally was having a chat with uh, the guy who books the place and he said oh look we've got a slot open why don't you go up second in the second half I went and I did a spot I did okay it was a five minute open spot it was I did a solid job Uh, and then I went backstage afterwards and and the only other woman on the lineup, the, the only woman who had been booked for the lineup, was so mean, <laughs> like just oh. so point scoring and mean and just implied that I was there because I was the catamite of the guy who I'd come to support, you know, that, that I was there for like sexual reasons or that I was there as a kind of a little bit of mm-hmm. tail or, or whatever it was. And she just chipped away at me behind my back and to my face for the rest of the night. And I thought, that is so weird. Yeah. And, so, and she was, a you know, a lady in her 50s in the comedy scene who had, had a really hard time and had to learn to play with the big boys and didn't think it was fair that I had just been able to, from her perspective, walk in and get a spot. Yeah, that- there is that
1: other side of it too, isn't there? And you don't want to be that person that lashes out. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was
0: luck. I I was in the right place at the right time. Somebody pulled out while I was standing next to the booker and I had been mentioning some, you know, BBC thing that I'd been on. So, you know, it was good timing and me being like a bit of a, you know, at that time networking. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was just, it was amazing to get I'm a pushback from somebody who I would think of as my natural ally.
1: Oh, wow, you're making me paranoid. I wonder, I can't imagine there's too many other people it, definitely not indigenous acts that think uh, I, I I had the easy path or anything like that. I've probably done that to other people, but I don't think I've been mean. Well, I'm uh, not
0: sure that it was so much the easy path thing as it was the uh, Highlander syndrome. What Tiff Stevenson calls the Highlander. <laughs> there
1: yeah, can no be other. only one. Well, there is I, I, that. I understand being threatened. Uh, I understand it. I don't agree with it because Jesus. And if you ever see someone that is so similar to you, like how how deep are you looking? I I, I literally can't imagine, sorry, actually can't imagine. um, Yeah, seeing anyone whose act made me feel, oh, no, they're doing my thing or they're going to take work from me or anything like that. Because if you're trying to do stuff that can be recreated by other people very easily, it can't be good. It can't be very authentic or anything like that.
0: One of the things that I think particularly having been in the UK and seen that and and then coming back to Australia, there's a smaller proportion of the Australian population who go out to see comedy.
2: Hmm. So I
0: think before we compete among ourselves for this tiny proportion of people who go out and see comedy, we should be working together to broaden that proportion. Like, you know, there's another battle that can be won where we all, you know, get to have a bigger, a smaller piece of a bigger pie, and yeah. then the second thing that I always think about is, like, if I have a great solo show, if I do a brilliant solo show in the context of, say, a festival, uh, people might come back and see it once, but they will not come back and see it 30 days in a row. Mm. You know, they'll, they'll see some good comedy and they'll want to see some other good comedy. If they go out and see bad comedy, they might not want to go out and see any more comedy ever, <laughs> you know, or for the next for the rest of the festival, they might be like, oh, it wasn't fun. The festival wasn't fun. So it's to everybody's benefit that everybody is good, as good as possible, because then they see Craig Quartermain one night and they're like, what a great night of comedy. Let's go again next Thursday. Who's who's available? Like you're not going yeah, to see yeah, the same yeah. person every night. So it's we're not actually competing with each other Man, as much as people seem to think we are. We're, we're sure. actually...
1: Well, the stand up culture in Australia is still so underdeveloped. It's still lazy and, you know, people need it spelt out. And still, so many people, especially in Queensland, don't know the behaviors. Um,
0: Clarify just- that, unpack that a little. Because my brothers moved to Queensland. If- so I'm facing down the prospect of having to email Fideli at the Sit Down Comedy Club. <laughs>
1: No, well, it's just a case of uh, Queensland, and I love it. I love the people. It's great. Oh, so lucky to be here. But when it comes to com- comedy and stand-up, it's one extreme or the other. You know, we're going to the RSL to watch someone from 50 metres back and hear them over a shitty mic and laugh when we think we're supposed to laugh or are you coming in and sitting in a small theatre, dark clothes, picking up what this person's doing? Are you allowed to do nuance or do you need to end every... Um, punchline with the c word so that they know. That, oh, that's the end of the joke. Like, there's, and as someone who is a huge fan of the c word, I, do, I, you know, I, it's yeah, little things like um intermissions. Like, no one, no, no, nobody does five minute warnings. There's, there's so many little things that you go to a place that has an established comedy scene and routine. The UK. I guess is probably my best reference point. People know what they're going to do when they go there. Right. We better grab a cup. We'll have we'll have two beers because we don't want to get up and miss anything. That sort of attitude. And you know, no one's eating a Parmigiana during your set. It just there's just there's just so many little things because the comedy should be the priority. But that's an Australian thing. Absolutely. Like the amount of free gigs people still get asked to do. In professional rooms. Oh, I am actually a charge for for, for a spot. You know, 50 bucks. You want me to drive 120 kilometers for 50 bucks? No. Like you just it, it there's still so much growing to do. But what it, I don't want to sound too dour because shit there are some little guys between between Brisbane and Sydney and these little towns running some really great gigs and putting in some effort, but still just teaching people how to attend comedy and, you know, face the bloody stage. This this obsession with, you know, eating dinner while the gig while the gig's on, that sort of shit, like it's it's changing. It's evolving. You know, there were a lot of free comedy rooms in Brisbane that are now at least charging $5 or $10 just to make people switch on a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, it's still got a ways to go. I
0: once got asked to do a corporate gig when they uh, wanted to put me in the corner. On a little stage without a microphone. <laughs> um, and they were like, just sort of do background comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> what, are no.
0: what are you talking about? Background. Oh. What is background comedy? I mean, get a contortionist or something if you want
1: sort of, <laughs> Yeah, let's like some something. Like, yeah. But
0: I mean, obviously, contortionists want full attention as well. but <laughs> you know, for that like sort of living art aspect to your corporate gig, there there are places and people that serve that, and and music can be.
1: Did you end up doing music? That can-
0: no, of course not.
1: Yeah, right. There wasn't no compromise. You're like, no, give, at least give me a microphone or something. Jesus, that is so funny. Um, yeah, I got asked to roast. Really, mine
0: I couldn't quite believe that that was what they were asking me to do.
1: Yeah, no, I can. Again, I, I, I can picture the kind of person that just have absolutely no idea what they're asking for. I, um, I got asked to roast a, a co-worker. I teach videography at uh, small organization. And uh, they asked me to roast the leading CEO of that organization, which is fine. It was lovely. But holy shit, there's a huge difference between roasting people because they asked me to do it because I'm a comedian, not because they love comedy and i just kind of went, like <laughs> do you know what a roast is do you know how hard i go? and i just put a couple of feelers out like if you you know if those those comedy central roasts from back in the early 2000s you know greg geraldo and all that if that's the gauge if that's 100 i reckon i got to maybe two as far as as far as nastiness goes and i still got a few... <laughs> Sort of things. I was like, nah, no. Nah, We're just gonna. We'll do. Wow, doesn't he wear silly shirts? That's as far as I was willing to go. But
0: oh, yeah, I mean, it's that's cheaper. the thing about a, a roast, a real roast. I think, and I, I, obviously, it's not as much a cu- cultural thing here as it is in America. It's a, with people who love each other and know each other very, yeah. very, very well. Yeah. And it's an expression of intimacy, and an ex- expression of "I know this thing about you, and I'm saying this terrible thing, but you know how much I love you, so that you're safe with me saying this thing, and we can like draw the poison together." Yeah, like that's essentially what it is. It's a kind of a reassurance, an expression of love, rather than. So there's this uh, there's this gig in in the UK called Stand Up and Slam. It's comedians against poets. It's a lot oh, of fun. You, so you get little uh, topics and you go back and forth between two teams and there's a poetry on this subject or comedy on this subject, back and forth, three-minute round, whatever, five-minute round, uh, and then the last round, and I fought so hard against this so many times, the last round is a roast round. Um, <laughs> and, and, and comedians are very sensitive and poets are oh. even more sensitive and if you <laughs> don't know somebody at all... I just every single time there would you just see somebody's little heart get broken, and then they would lash back disproportionately hard with something way too intense, yeah. and you could just <laughs> and it was in front of a crowd, and I always found it just <laughs> so painful.
1: Ah, uh, I love it. I love it, only because only if it's equal. You don't want to, you know. My my problem is is that uh, a lot of the guys I come up with a lot of. Not my really good friends, a lot of my really good friends will absolutely go for the throat, but there's so many people in the comedy scene in the show that don't think they could say stuff to me. A lot of it's probably just the indigenous aspect. Um they feel like I can't take jokes about that. I always kind of point out to people, it's like I can, your jokes just aren't good enough. Like <laughs> Jacques, Jacques, Barrett, Jacques Barrett um did something uh off stage. Uh Australian comedian Jack Barrett did something off stage, and I was howling, howling with laughter because he was emceeing a gig for me. He just said, I was going, he says this to me off offstage, like, I was going to do this action. He just does it, this little move. Um, and I'm, I'm dying with tears, laughter that I said, why didn't you do that? Because nobody else in this room would let me get away with that. You, the fact you laughed at it makes me very happy, but I could not have done that in front of an audience. And he was right. He was right. It was absolutely. I mean, Australia's kind of still not ready for. We haven't had the opportunity. It's not like African American comedy or Black comedy in um, the UK. We haven't had enough of control of our own narrative yet, for other people to be able to join in and do it, and that's just the way it is. And we won't until we actually are in control of how we are perceived. At the moment, everyone's like, "Oh, there's heaps of representation." Sure. Sure, there's heaps more than there used to be, but there's still white producers writing these roles and creating these opportunities, and you know, making people wear dot paintings and shit.
0: Well, yeah, it is. It's it's about this is one of the things that I think about, sort of representation and diversity, is that you need diversity of representation hmm. within any group, so that you are not standing in for every one of your you know, so that we can start complicating the vectors along which we're identified. Like, I would like to come on on stage and just be there as the fantasy nerd, you know? (laughs) For example, I would like that to be the primary part of my identity in this context or that context. For for example, and I think that's one of the interesting things about, about representation, about diversity, is you can start to get this kind of... I don't know, this is a completely kind of slightly tangent, maybe complete tangent. Um, There's a thing that I've been wrestling with recently, which is like gender intensity, which I think. (laughs) So this is my thing, right? So I've been talking to uh, friends about this stuff, about gender, and I sort of there's this discourse about gender happening in in the public eye at the moment, and you have people with very strong opinions on many different sides, Um, And they express them extremely forcefully. And my attitude is sort of, ah, it doesn't really bother me. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't feel wildly like I'm a woman, but I also doesn't bother me. And so I I sort of think that there's a, a, a vector missing in the discussion, which is intensity. So I think people like Joe Rogan, who are constantly performing aggressive masculinity, cisgender masculinity, have more in common with somebody who has transitioned to express their gender identity than either of them do with me, who's just sort of like doesn't bother me. Like the the yeah. intensity of your felt gender <laughs> or the or the relevance of your gender to your experience of the world, I think has something to do with this whole conversation. Mm. Does that make sense, or is that a horrible? No, thing to say?
1: I no, I completely. Uh, I agree and understand exactly what you mean, where there are variations of these situations like yeah, you've got the people that are so intense to the point that <laughs> I mean I had a line about it. it's pretty, I don't know, I don't particularly care if anyone's offended by this particular one because it's it's honest as hell is that uh, there are variations to all that all that level of intensity. I mean, I had a line about it and it it worked, it worked, but Jesus, I can only do it in a festival show where people are coming to see me specifically. But I, I have seen some people transition and then start yelling at the audience about their experiences. Um, and that is the most white dude thing in the world to do is, the, you know, come in the club for an hour and then tell everyone how it is, like, just chill. You know, that, and that was the intensity is a uh, you're right. There, there is very much a similarity between one side and the other because it's this ownership. You, it's this, yeah. It's
0: the idea that you know what it is, which is, you know, and I, I don't deny their experience. But I walk down the street, for example, and I go, "What? Is, I don't care. What does it matter? No one ever has an experience of gender that's that intense. And then I see someone with eyelashes on their headlights. <laughs> <And I>
2: think, <laughs> and I think,
0: Holy shit. This is something that I will never understand. That my, you know, whatever it is, either my upbringing or like my whatever it is has just given, maybe because I had a twin brother, all these different factors in your upbringing, where it, to me it was never the most relevant part of my identity. So I didn't ever feel until, until I started being like, oh, women aren't allowed to do comedy, I never felt like it was a lever to be used against me or like it was ever important oh. because the ways in which I am gender non conforming the people around me were accepted of. So it, it, it didn't feel incompatible with my selfhood to be non-girly in these ways or unfeminine in, in these ways or masculine in these ways. They weren't, they were just ways of being a person.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and so I, I, I never I,
0: felt that anything was held back from me or taken away from me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just in general find a lot of it confusing. To, I mean, I just kind of lean back and let people have their, have their have, the, um, have their journey, because yeah, I've I've been brought into these sort of arguments and discussions, and I've kind of gone, nah, you know what? I've got other shit I got to deal with right now. Kind of, I've kind of got a whole bunch of other shit I'm still dealing this with. This
0: is why you, This is why the intensity thing. You just be like, I'm oh, sorry, I've got low gender intensity. This isn't my discussion. <laughs> that's low what I think. Intensity. You know, for some people, just Let's it's show. not.
2: Yep. It's not
0: the thing, and for some people, it absolutely is the thing, and it's a life or death thing, and and that's. That's the thing.
1: Is it? It is, you know, COVID's, COVID's affected the intent. I, I don't know. I think it's affected the intensity of this this particular narrative you're talking about now, only because a lot of people have had to um, stay at home, stay in their own little networks. Well, because
0: every expression of self is performative during COVID because it's all performed online. And so it becomes mm-hmm. a completely. Completely different thing. There is no unconscious self in communication with the community. It's all deliberate.
1: Yeah, and well, I mean that could be a good thing.
0: The fucking yeah. weird thing is what it it's is. It's a
1: weird thing. It's a weird thing, but it could be a good
0: thing. If you, if you look at um, extras in like seventies movies, or if you look at vox pops from like the forties and fifties, and the way people right. hold their faces is fascinating. Like I watched um the original 70s Logan's Run the other day, and all of the characters in the background, who are actors in this instance, are completely unconscious of how they look on camera. <laughs>
2: and
0: right. you look know, like Vox Pop from like the 30s and 40s and 50s. Where oh. people are talking to the camera and they have no idea of how they look to the camera and you just think, you know, people are spending eight hours a day on Zoom and they are absolutely conscious of every uh, angle at which they're holding their eyebrows. I
1: don't know what you mean. I have natural light coming through my window right now. And <laughs> you know, I may or may not be using my Canon just so <laughs> it's a little bit clearer. Yeah. Oh, my God, that is such a good point. What pieces of shit we've become. Uh, yeah, that is... Oh, my God. And I know, I know exactly the Voxbox you're talking about, because the ABC love to pull-wheel those out all the time. And there are people I you know, that have absolutely no concept of what they're doing. Yeah. Whereas everyone now, you're right. The minute they see a phone or a camera, they're just out in public when you're allowed to, everyone just switches into a gear. Oh, my God, that's insane.
0: And I think that about discussions as well because of this like consciousness that we have or like on stage or backstage or whatever, this consciousness that we have that any private conversation could be made public or any public conversation could be made public Mm. to a wider circle than we are in control of. Like for example, me talking to you now, I know my audience and they are generous, thoughtful people and they understand the point of these conversations is to unpick tricky things and we might not always say things in the right way or the proper way or in an aligned way or, you know, that we're just sort of throwing these things around. But at any point, someone can pull a clip and stick it on Channel 9 News and then this wider circle of the public becomes aware of it. I think people are more conscious of that as well.
1: That's nice to know that your audience that well because, yeah, I, I in talking with people more and more broadly, I'm finding that I know less and less about how people think. I mean, dude, I only just found out Big Brother still exists <laughs> because that <laughs> fucking, what's her face?
0: Katie Hopkins. Uh,
1: Katie Hopkins, man, that piece of shit. I didn't even know that she was going to be in... country uh i think caitlin jenner as well when i was going through the going through the uh the the articles once i found out katie hopkins was even here and then yeah just went through several levels of oh this dickhead oh my god big brother exists oh my god it just yeah i'm so detached from what people consume now and this is well this has nothing to do with covid it's just oh my two dogs Uh, i think the mailman's here but uh we just acquired a new puppy and she's just learning how to be a a guard dog. But, yeah, um, always just interesting.
0: Well, you're on the radio, so that's a completely different thing again. People tune in halfway through something. They might tune in without context. They might half listen. They might have you on in the background. It's not quite the same thing. This privilege of being on a podcast is that people listen to you when they're in the mood for you. (laughs) And they generally listen from beginning Ah. to end. And, and so you have a much, I think, generally um, a much more generous audience and a much more tuned-in audience.
1: Yeah, there's a huge difference between performing for a crowd that's totally come to just see you yeah, and then, yeah, trying to establish yourself on a night full of people in a random little town that, oh, wow, one of them talks funny, like those, those sort of people. As opposed to...
0: Yeah, and that's also that's a fun challenge and an interesting thing, but in terms of, like, getting ideas out there. Might not be your best channel.
1: Well, there's that, and then there is that disingenuous thing where you've got a crowd that just love everything you do, and will let you get away with half baked ideas. And then, yeah, yeah. Ah, is, but there is that balance. There's then there are the people that again don't know what they're there to see, and you. It's, can why, it's the- why
0: famous comedians get less good as a general rule, because <laughs> they yes. do their previews to eight hundred people, and you go, well, <laughs> someone's going to find everything funny. Oh. Don't, do, don't oh. do previews to any more than 30 people, is what I say. Yeah. Kind of
1: <laughs> Man, if I ever got preview, 30 people to a preview at the moment,
0: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> I'd be stoked. It just, um, the Brisbane Comedy Festival will be kicking off soon. Yeah, um, they didn't They didn't want me. Mm. I've, heard. I've heard they knocked a few very good people back. And part of me is like, with this COVID lockdown and some acts not being able to make it, I'm kind of like, good job good job you kind of brought it on yourself so
0: well i mean look to be fair i hadn't been coming at the brisbane comedy festival for the last few years but because my brother is there now i wanted to like have an excuse to go up um but uh yeah i was i was surprised i think i have an audience in in queensland email me if you're a listener in queensland so i yeah so I can collate them and send them into the Brisbane Comedy Festival, like Pretty Woman. Huge mistake. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, wow. Who's who's nothing back um, international comics? That's weird. That is weird. But maybe it was that whole. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to shit on them too much because I've had some really good audiences up here. But uh, then again, festivals don't represent the people that well. There's so there's so much garbage. <laughs> It goes along with film, comedy festivals, even coming out of a pandemic. Where we should all just be grateful for any any art we can consume. There will still be some finicky fucks out there.
0: Oh yeah, and also, you know, I'm I'm not actually phased about it. I'm just going to go visit my brother anyway.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, and I wasn't implying that. Yeah, you know, that you were. Just um...
0: well, I, I, I'm conscious because there are some people who only ever talk about stuff that they didn't get. Um, well, that's one of my least favorite conversations to have with comedians. I'm like, well, oh, why did this person get this thing and I didn't get this thing? And that's, I reckon uh... you
1: could fill an episode with the stuff I didn't get that I should have got. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm happy. I'm happy to do it. But uh, no, I, but then I get it, it is funny. I mean, I joke about it now. I've got this. I'm working on a TV show, and I always joke. Literally, um, another guy couldn't do it, so I got I, the amount of great opportunities I've gotten because I'm backfilling another brown person.
0: Oh. Uh, yeah, He's I'm. Brilliant. I'm definitely. So much of my work is being the second person they call. Yeah, <laughs> And I'm happy with that. I am totally happy with being the second person they call.
1: I love it too. I love it too. Nothing wrong with it.
0: Um, you can build a whole career on being the second person they call.
1: Right. If anybody ever asked me, and they were like, "I was the first person they call," I would genuinely go, "Are you sure? <laughs> 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 how, did you, how did you find my number first? Like, yeah, but um. But also to the best advantage of that is that the not that the expectations are so low, but you know to have the background that I have, the qualifications, stuff I've already done. Um, when I'm brought in as the backup, and I'm probably better qualified than the people making the decisions, it's great. It, it, it's a nice little um, launch pad and it's kind of worked out that way. Just. Have to accept that I was never going to be the big star coming out of high school, you know. I just some people it just takes a little bit longer.
0: Yeah, never trust anyone who peaked in high school.
1: Yeah, that was a terrible metaphor. I hate those people—the people that the people that uh, lighted up from there.
0: Well, to bring this conversation full circle, the the hardship of having to work for um, profile or. Success in your field really hard, and to have to do every step and not have yeah. any uh, little boosts along the way, or the little boosts that you get are, are far, far um, and few between, few and far between. Uh, is that you have a much more consolidated skill set, and you're much more able to deal with things that get thrown at you. You don't end up out of your depth as often, uh, and you you're, you've often had an experience where you're like, oh, I know, I know what to do here where somebody who was boosted up at, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 might not
2: yeah, have that, sure. might
0: not have that ability to adjust on the fly. So that is, you know, this this privilege of hardship in a way.
1: And that's so weird that we came back to that. But yes, yeah, very. I'm very
0: uh, good at my job, Craig.
1: <laughs> ah! Yeah, well, this is true. I shouldn't have surprised my bad. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it has been pretty cool to, to get, yeah. You, it's horrible as you're going through it, but it's galvanizing you for any future opportunities or situations that you'll find yourself in. And maybe that's too, maybe that's the other thing. Maybe you worry for other people that haven't gone through it because they're not going to be as well equipped as you. Maybe some of us have that level of empathy. I'm not, I'm not going to claim that I do. Maybe I'm just bitter and twisted.
0: <laughs> um, where can people find you online and seek you out and support your stuff?
1: I am on Instagram and Facebook. Now I am no longer represented. So I'm all by myself. So no point checking out those websites. So Facebook and Instagram, Craig Quartermain. I don't try to hide anywhere. But uh, do have a new TV show called Move Into the Country on the ABC. Uh, It's available on ABC iView. It's going really, really well. Uh, It's just about innovation in the country. Uh, Ridiculous that we managed to get it made while... Uh, COVID was happening, like we were dodging border restrictions and all sorts of stuff. We were so lucky and it's something I'm really proud of. There are TV shows that I am ashamed to have been a part of. This is not one of them. This is absolutely brilliant. Um, Yeah, please check that out on um, ABC Australia, ABC TV, wherever you can find it. But Craig Quartermain uh, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and uh, I'll have all that material in and around.
0: I'll tell you you who you should talk to, uh, Richard Makeham, who I've had on a previous episode of this podcast. He does soil regeneration stuff. Um, Hit me up for sure. He used to he used to be on a big cattle farm in Queensland, and now he's moved down to uh, New South Wales to like a retirement slash hobby farm where he does all these experiments on the soil. Um, he's a super cool, dude. I will. I will. Um,
1: great. We do this afterwards. So, now we've got so many great stories, and uh, we just hope we can get a second season go- going because it sounds like the numbers are there, and everybody wants one. It's just whether or not. COVID will let us.
0: The gods of television. Mm. Uh, thank you so much, Craig Quartermain. Thank you for having tea with me.
1: I got you. Thank you, Alice.
2: Laldy rifle, doll, a haldy rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin, turns around for to view her frames, crying, Damn you, dawpers, cry up your hymns, laldy rifle, doll, a rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door. Tie our ends up, door first He will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do. For Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Laddie, rifle, doll, laddie, rifle, day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames And wait for Elsie to return again Loudy right for i loudy right for the